All right, so it is Thursday, May 19th, 2022, and we are live. Welcome to the African History Network show. Right here on the Antenam Superstation, the Future Radio. Uh, today is Malcolm X's 97th birthday. So later in the show, we'll talk a little bit about Malcolm X as well. We talk about Malcolm all the time, so this show is different. Um. We're going to give you an update on what happened in court today when uh, Peyton Gendron, the Buffalo shooting suspect, was a rank, was indicted uh, today in court. We'll give you an update on what happened and also uh, what's taking place in the uh, Buffalo Eastside community as well because um, they're still getting uh, threats. Schools are being threatened, sporting events are being threatened, things of this nature. So uh, we'll talk some about that on today's show. Uh, it was tense. Uh, also in court today, there were family members of the victims uh, that were present. One of them shouted out, Peyton, you're a coward, which is correct, which is correct. Can't deny that. One of, one of them shouted out, Peyton, you're a coward. So we'll let you know what um, happened today. Now, also, we talked about it. Um, I, I saw a couple of stories before today, but the story really came out today dealing with the assistant manager of the Tops Market who called the police, uh, who called uh, 911, and the dispatcher hung up on her. Okay. So that dispatcher is on uh, administrative leave. An, investiga an investigation is being done. Is expected the dispatcher is going to be fired. So uh, we have some information on that as well. NBC News has a good story uh, on that. Okay. So we'll talk about that also. Um, and then we'll talk some about the. Um, Malcolm X as well. And we're going to look at some excerpts of Malcolm X's speech from June 28th of 1964, where he announced the formation of the um, Organization of Afro-American Unity. We'll talk a little bit about that as well. All right, on the African History Network show, we, we on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct your own behavior, what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you, and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So we control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts. You can, you can control the circumference of his or, her, his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. Call in numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. I want to look at this. Um, so Washington Post has a good article on this. Also ABC News. We'll look at the piece here from 
ABC News first, since this is the first article here on my rundown sheet. Um, and this deals with what happened in court today. Buffalo mass shooting suspect called coward while exiting court hearing. And, and this is true. He's a coward and a lot of other things also. Buffalo mass shooting suspect called coward while exiting court hearing. The suspect allegedly killed 10 people and wounded three others. Okay. Now we know he also pleaded not guilty as well as loved ones of the victims. We're going to clip number one here in just a second, Shakita clip number one from uh good morning America. Uh, Cause uh, on good morning America this morning, they talked about this. And they talked about the fact that he, he would uh, be indicted later today as loved ones of the victims looked on an 18-year-old suspect, 18-year-old grown man, Peyton Gendron, accused of fatally shooting 10 people in what authorities described as a racially motivated rampage, appeared in court Thursday and was called a coward by someone at the hearing. Suspect Peyton Gendron entered the Buffalo, New York City courtroom wearing an orange jumpsuit, a white face mask and chains on his legs and hands and surrounded by various court officers, Gendron appeared to be wearing a, wearing a bulletproof vest under his suit. All right, I wanna go to uh, this first clip here. This is from uh, this morning, Good Morning America. Um, suspect Suspected gunman in fatal Buffalo mass shooting to appear in court. Let's go to clip one, please. Okay, I guess we'll get that queued up. Uh, 10 black people racist supermarket attack. Investigators are now focusing on the shooter's social media. Stephanie Ramos is in Buffalo with the latest. Good morning, Stephanie. Robin, good morning. The 18-year-old shooting suspect is set to appear in court today for a pre-trial felony hearing. Payton Gendron is charged with an initial count of first-degree murder for allegedly opening fire at shoppers at the top supermarket in Buffalo in a predominantly black neighborhood. Investigators have been pouring through his social media writings, and now the governor's new executive order would make it mandatory for state police to flag someone like him. It, will, it would allow them to seek an emergency order to prevent them from possessing weapons if they are believed to be a threat to themselves or others. Robin. And in the meantime, Stephanie, you've seen this firsthand, the community there in Buffalo coming together in the wake of this shooting, including the Buffalo Bills. Absolutely, Robin. The Buffalo Bills visited the memorial site at top. They laid flowers. They paid their respects. And some of the players were wearing black T-shirts that say choose love. And they also pitched in, many of them uh, serving food to the community via the World Central Kitchen Tent. And I can tell you, Robin, the residents in this community were thrilled. They were ecstatic and they were appreciative of their time. Huge Buffalo Bills. I'm sure. Okay, Stephanie, thank you. Pause right there. All right. So that happened this morning on Good Morning America. That was before he appeared in court today, okay? I wanna go to the second clip here. We're going to clip two. This is from NBC News Now, Buffalo supermarket shooting suspect to appear in court 
as social media posts are investigated. Let's go to clip two, please. Ido Network International, in collaboration with STL Black Woman, DACA, and ACTA, present the Royal Pilgrimage to the Americas, August 24th through the 28th. The African kings and queens are coming to you for business, networking, and sharing of Pan-African ideals. The venue will be the illustrious En Garde Arts Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. A royal cultural experience and exhibitions, trade and investment opportunities in Africa, the Caribbean, and the Americas. A Royal Pan-African Summit hosting keynote speakers and a red carpet banquet. Come and witness our African Royal Coronation Ceremony. Register at www.idonetwork.org to book your ticket to wine and dine with African royalty. Vendor opportunities available. Get face-to-face -face with the royals who own the land and resources for business. Contact DACA for deal room information at 602-730-4572. On the African History Network show, we do current events of history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do what teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. Welcome back to the African History. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Thursday, May 19th, 2022. And we are live. Call the numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600. This is calling number if you have a uh, question or comment. Okay. Um we'll go to uh clip two here in just a minute. Um Clip two is from uh, NBC News Now. We'll go to that in just a minute here. But I want to go to, uh, I want to go back to the article from ABC News. Uh, Buffalo mass shooting suspect called coward while exiting court uh, hearing. Uh, so uh, this is from uh, today, May 19th, 2022. So prosecutors said a grand jury had indicted Peyton Gendron on first degree murder, but all charges remain uh, under seal. All charges remain under seal. Judge Craig D. Hanna adjourned Thursday's one minute hearing. The hearing was scheduled to be a felony hearing, but because Gendron has been indicted, the judge scheduled his next hearing for June 9th, 2022, when he's expected to be uh, arraigned on charges in the grand jury indictment. Now, Gendron was represented at the hearing by three court appointed attorneys, Erie County Assistant uh, District Attorney Gary Hackbush informed, uh, uh, okay, okay, uh, Erie County Assistant District Attorney Gary Hackbush informed the judge that the grand jury indictment of Gendron was was handed upon uh, Wednesday. Now, relatives and family members of victims killed in the shooting at a grocery store Saturday, 
the tops friendly market uh crowded into uh crowded into the courtroom to watch Gendron entered and left under heavy guard a woman sitting in the courtroom galley was overheard yelling Peyton you're a coward as he exited uh the courtroom here's a picture of him here with his attorneys uh I want to go to clip number two here and this is from uh, NBC News now uh, from today. Uh, Buffalo supermarket shooting suspect to to appear in court as social media posts are investigated. Let's go to clip two, please. All right, we're waiting on the... the 18-year-old accused of gunning down 10 people at the top supermarket in Buffalo, New York, set to appear in court. A shooter, a mass shooter. Turned the hearing comes as more store employees are sharing their chilling encounters with the suspect in the days leading up to the shooting. I asked him that he need a store because he's making a customer feel uncomfortable. I noticed when he was leaving the store, you know, his eyes was wondering. He was wondering, you know, looking around to, um, as he was leaving. Investigators now believe the suspect had been planning his hate-fueled rampage for months, zeroing in on the racist rant that the chat forum Discord says he made public to a small group 30 minutes before the shooting spree. Now, the New York Attorney General will investigate those social media sites authorities say the suspect frequented. These social media platforms have to take responsibility. They must be more vigilant in monitoring the content, and they must be held accountable. A spokesperson for the app Discord tells NBC in a statement they will cooperate with the AG's investigation and says in part, Kate has no place on Discord, and we are committed to combating violence and extremism. The atrocious attack hit the heart of this community, the only supermarket within walking distance for many people here. How critical Tops is in this neighborhood. It's very critical. Like, there's nowhere else to shop at. We have to go to the other side of town. This Tops was our food source, our source to healthy foods, our source to foods with valuable uh, nutrition and now it's been taken from us. To help fill that void, an outpouring of help. I'm still behind you. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come down. From donations from the Buffalo Bills, to food giveaways through World Central Kitchen and the Red Cross. Get one of each. A glimmer of hope in the darkest of times. In addition to Discord, we've also reached out to 4chan, 8chan, and Twitch for comment in response to the Attorney General's investigation. We have not heard back yet. Separately, while the top supermarket remains closed, there are opportunities and assistance out there for locals, including ride-sharing companies offering to transport locals to nearby grocery stores for free. Uh, it's not clear when the top supermarket will reopen its doors, but Joe, its temporary closure is certainly another devastating blow to this community. Blow, but good to see people trying to help however they can. Emily, thanks so much. All right, good reporting there from NBC News. Now, uh, a lot of people are pitching in to support that Eastside community however they can. Um, there was one story dealing with uh, a Tops Friendly Market is uh, put up $500,000 to assist the uh, families of the victims. You had the Buffalo Bills who were out yesterday uh, serving food to the community. And uh, they laid flowers at the uh, memorial site there at the top friendly market. 
you have uh, Uber and Lyft. Um, Uber and Lyft are, okay, so there was a story on the 11th hour on MSNBC, and I took a screenshot of the screen. I want to try to pull this up. Uh, I think it was WIVB or something. Um, Uber and Lyft are providing uh, free rides for people. Let's look at this here. There are a couple of things. So number one, I'm looking at a tweet from Tops Market, and we'll try to, what we'll do is, um, let me post this here on my Facebook page, and we'll pull this up here. So there's a tweet from Tops Market about a fund, a $500,000 fund they set up. Tops has seeded the survivors with $500,000 to get it started, 100% of the contributions donated to this fund will go directly to victims and survivors of, of this atrocity. Qualifying charitable donations to this fund are tax deductible. So let's pull this up here. Uh, this was Tuesday night on the 11th hour with Stephanie Rule. Let's look at this here. So you can follow Tops on Twitter and check this out. Let's see, can we, uh, I don't know if we can zoom in. No, we can't zoom in on it. Okay, so hopefully you can see this. Um, let's look at this. Tops, Tops has seeded the Survivor Fund with $500,000, Tops Friendly Market, the, the, the company that owns Tops. Tops has seeded the Survivor Fund with $500,000 to get it started. 100% of the, of the contributions donated to this fund will go directly to victims and survivors of this atrocity. Qualifying uh, charitable donations to this fund are tax deductible. There were some other tweets. I'm not sure if Stephanie Rule showed them. Um, I ain't have a chance to snap those pictures. This was Tuesday night when we, when we were getting the election returns from five states. There's free bus shuttle service, uh, daily 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. I know uh, Tops was providing also. And uh, Tops was providing service to take people to other top stores to shop and then there was a let me post this also here there's an article from WIVV let's see let's look at this here okay WIVV channel 4 let's look at this one here can we go to the next one okay that's from Okay, let me refresh the screen just a second. Uh, this is about Uber and Lyft. Uber and Lyft are providing discount codes, uh, providing discount codes for uh, people in Buffalo to get free rides to the grocery store. Let's look at this one here.
All right, I just posted this. Uh, Uber, uh, this is from WIVB.com, Channel 4. They're in the Buffalo area. Okay, Uber left uh, discount codes for Buffalonians to get free rides to grocery stores after top uh, Tops mass shooting. This article is from Monday, May 16th, 2022. So there's a, in spite of this tragedy, there's also a large outpouring of support as well, okay? So sometimes in some of the stories you may not hear about the support that's taking place. So I wanna make sure that we highlight that as well. The stories you may hear may just be about tragedy and atrocities and him killing the animal, burying the dead cat and all, you know, all type of crazy stuff. But there is uh, a lot of uh, an outpouring of support as well for the community. Okay, now I want to go to clip three here. Try to get to this before we go to the next break. Do Okay, do we have a... I guess we have a break coming up. I'm not sure if we have golf updates, but we'll see. Uh, Clip number three, Buffalo shooting suspect pleads not guilty at arraignment. This is from uh, NBC News. Now, this is what happened in court today. Let's go to clip three, please. Thanks by officers. The Buffalo shooting suspect in court today for the second time since he allegedly gunned down 10 people. All were black. A grand jury indicting the 18-year-old on first-degree murder as the Justice Department is investigating the shooting spree as a hate crime and racially motivated violent extremism. Wearing an orange jumpsuit, the accused killer kept quiet before a crowded courtroom, including victims' families. Emotions spilling over as the suspect, who's pleaded not guilty, was escorted out. Hey, you're a coward! In the room, Bishop Glenwood Young, who lost his sister-in-law, Pearl. What was it like being just a matter of feet from this accused killer? It was so inside the courtroom. It was an eerie feeling to see this person walk in that had caused this traumatic uh, thing to happen in, in the community. The damages have, have already been done. Uh, these people will be hurting for the rest of their lives. I know I, I will. Tonight, in a small step towards normalcy, the yellow tape cordoning off the Topps grocery store is being replaced with fencing. This community centerpiece is no longer considered an active crime scene. Topps understands the role it plays in the Jefferson Avenue community and the role that this store plays in particular to the neighborhoods and honestly the role that, uh, that we play in the city of Buffalo. And it will take some time for us to understand exactly the specific timeline for opening. We want to make sure that is done right and we open it in a respectful manner for our associates, our employees, and for the community at large. Okay. All right, All right Emily, can I join this now? Pause it right there. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share.
the work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre. I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me and she's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Nine ten, the Superstation, Detroit's only African American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show, right here on Nine Ten AM Superstation, uh, WFDF here in Detroit. Okay, um, I want to go to. We'll go back to that clip here in just a second. Clip number three, the last thirty seconds of it. Um, right before the break, I was mentioning uh, Peyton Gendron burying a cat this is the story from huffington post that i was alluding to uh huffingtonpost.com buffalo suspect peyton gendron wrote he felt nothing about stabbing and beheading a cat wrote he felt nothing about stabbing and beheading a cat the accused mass murderer shared a photo of his bloody cruelty this is from um Wednesday, May 18th, 2022. This is what I was referring to. Uh, Buffalo, uh, New York shooting suspect Peyton Gendron displayed his inhumanity toward animals before his alleged racist attack on supermarket shoppers. Um, he wrote in March of 2022 that he stabbed and beheaded a feral cat, the Washington Post reported on Tuesday, March 17th. In a, in a, uh, di uh, uh, in a diary-like entry that apparently originated on the messaging platform Discord, Peyton Gendron said he spotted the stray, uh, the stray cat attacking his family's cat in the garage and repeatedly stabbed the animal. He wrote that he bashed its skull against concrete and chopped off his head with a hatchet. He shared a photo of the body decapitated and bloody. He said, quote, I called my mom and she gave me a box and I dug a shallow grave in the backyard. He wrote on March 25th per the newspaper. He said, quote, honestly, right now, I don't feel anything about killing that cat. I thought I would be in pain, but literally just feel blank, end quote. Uh-huh. All right. There are always signs. There, 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 there are signs. Okay. Uh, the New York Post provided other, the right-leaning New York Post provided other grisly details of Gentry's entry which we're not going to talk about here in which he, well, we'll, 
we're not going to get deep into this, but we're citing the article from Huffington Post, in which he recalled swinging the cat by its tail for greater force against the hard surface and requiring, uh, okay, he, 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 he's sick. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to read the rest of this. He's sick. You can read the rest of this here. Okay. He, he, there, there were warning signs. There were, there were warning signs. Buffalo suspect Peyton Gendron wrote he felt nothing about stabbing and beheading cat. Uh, so read this article here from May 18th, 2022. HuffingtonPost.com. This is what I was talking about right before the break. Okay, now, uh, I want to go back to this clip here from uh, what happened in court today. Uh, this is clip number three, NBC News Now. Uh, Buffalo shooting suspect pleads not guilty at arraignment. Okay, let's go back. To, what are we doing? Let's our associates, our employees, and for the community at large. All right, Emily Akeda joins us now. Emily, we know, as you mentioned, that the tape has come down from around the Topps grocery store, but that community is still receiving threats? Yeah, that's right, Tom. Uh, the aftermath of this shooting continues to torment this community as threats target sporting events, restaurants, and schools. One nearby school district says up to a third of its students stayed home from school this week, Tom. Okay, so the community is still, okay, thank you, control room, thank you. The community is still getting various types of threats. There have been threats on schools, things like this, in that area. So um, the trauma continues. As they try to heal, the trauma continues, all right? Okay. So I want to go to, let me see, what is uh, clip four? I want to go to this next story. We're going to skip clip four. We're going to go to clip five, dealing with the 911 dispatcher. So I saw um, a clip of the 911 dispatcher who called into uh, a, a, a news station, TV news station. I'm, I'm sorry, it, it was the assistant manager. Okay, of Tops Friendly Market, who called. It was the assistant manager who called uh, into the uh, news station to uh, say that when she called the nine one one during the shooting, uh, the nine one one dispatcher hung up on her. Okay, now there's an article from. Um, NBCnews.com. They did a story on this today because I saw bits and pieces of this, but I don't like just looking at bits and pieces and, and I don't come on the air with just uh, bits and pieces. This article here. 911 dispatcher accused of hanging up on store employee during Buffalo shooting call. This The dispatcher may lose her job after allegedly shouting at the employee at Topps Friendly Market with 10 black people were fatally shot and asking, asking her why she was whispering. Okay, let's go to clip five, please.
was alarming and came from an assistant manager who was inside the supermarket on Saturday. She called in during our live coverage of the massacre. Live on the line with us. Leticia, if you're there, uh, thank you for joining us. Leticia said she could hear gunshots that just wouldn't stop, but she still had the wherewithal to get out her phone and call 911. She explained to us what happened next. I tried to call 911, and I was whispering because I could hear them close by. And when I whispered on the phone to 911, the, the dispatcher would start yelling at me, saying, why are you whispering? You don't have to whisper. And I'm trying to tell her, like, ma'am, He's in the store. He's shooting the active shooter. I, I'm scared for my life. And she said something crazy to me, and then she hung up in my face. And I had to call my boyfriend and tell him to call 911. People were furious to hear Leticia's story. We obviously wanted to figure out what happened. But here in New York State, 911 calls are rarely released to the public. We in the media have no access. It usually takes a court order. So you really have to rely on self-policing. And that appears to have happened. Erie County, which runs the 911 Communication Center through Central Police Services, confirmed that this has been investigated and, quote, immediate action was taken and the individual who took that call is now on administrative leave pending a disciplinary hearing, which should happen within a couple of weeks. Thankfully, other calls made it through and were properly dispatched. There was a rapid response. In fact, the mayor saying police were on site within two minutes. I'm Michael Wooten, Channel 2 News. All right. So that is um, from NBC News. If we look at this article here quickly, and let me close this out here because this video clip keeps trying to pop up. If we look at this article here quickly, um, a 911 dispatcher has been placed on leave and may lose her job after allegedly hanging up, hanging up on a supermarket employee hiding during the weekend shooting rampage in Buffalo, New York. Now, the office of Erie County, um, the office of the Erie County ex- uh, executive told NBC News that the dispatcher who took the call is on administrative leave pending a disciplinary hearing slated for the week of May 30th, where, quote unquote, termination will be sought. Termination will be sought. Uh, an internal investigation began on Sunday. Uh, which was uh, May 15th, Sunday, May 15th, one day after the shooting, and the staffer was placed on leave the following day. This, the dispatcher was employed by the county for eight years, uh, office spokesperson Peter Anderson said. Now, an assistant uh, office manager at Topps Friendly Market, um, where the tragedy took place, told the Buffalo News that she was whispering during the 911 call because she feared the shooter would hear her. Uh, the store employee alleges the dispatcher shouted at her and asked why she was whispering. So we heard uh, the clip there of Latasha. Um, Anderson told Associated Press it's unclear who hung up on who, on whom. In one account, I can't remember if it's th- that one, she said that she dropped her phone. Latasha said she dropped her phone. And when she came back, the, the dispatcher was gone. So it was disconnected. Um, a message was left with, this is why I like, this is why I look at different sources for this information and just don't come here with bits and pieces. A message was left with the union that represents Buffalo 911 dispatchers. Okay. Read the rest of this article here. This is, uh, from the Associated Press picked up by NBC News. There's good reporting there by, uh, the local NBC news station as well. 911 dispatcher accused of hanging up on store employee during Buffalo shooting call. We're coming up on a break. 
We'll continue this on the other side of the break. When we come back, we'll talk some about uh, Malcolm X's 97th birthday, and we'll look at one of his iconic speeches, June 28, 1964, uh, his By Any Means Necessary speech, where he announced the formation of the Organization of Afro-American Unity. We'll also give you a, a preview, a brief preview of the 10-week online class that I teach on Saturdays, uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, where they didn't teach you in school. You can register for that at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Listen to the African History Network show. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. iRedify is a Black-owned digital platform that showcases Black and Brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read ebooks, listen to audiobooks, and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at iRedify.com. Sign up for your membership today. Abundant Capital Group is a real estate investment company with over 20 years of experience in real estate. They specialize in two areas of real estate. One, they solve real estate problems with creative financing solutions that give the seller the most money for their property. And two, they show individuals how to get a higher rate of return on their investment capital with Real Estate Note Investor. If you are looking to sell or need to sell your property, here is what they provide. Market value offer, even if you have little or no equity, they typically pay all closing costs, which can be thousands of dollars. They close on a date of the seller's choosing, and the seller does not have to be out of the house at the time of closing. They take the property in an as-is condition, and the seller is not required to make any repairs. Give them a call or email them today for a free consultation and see how they can help you with your real estate needs. Call them at 973-475-8488. That's 973-475-8488. Visit their website, AbundantCapitalGroup.com. That's AbundantCapitalGroup.com. And email them at ACG at AbundantCapitalGroup.com. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Abundant Capital Group. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future radio. Okay, uh, so today is May 19th, and this is the 97th uh, birthday of the one and only El Hajj Malik El Shabazz, also known as Malcolm Little, uh, more properly known to the world as Malcolm X. And you know, I was looking at a couple of articles uh, today on Malcolm, one from news1.com, dealing with 20 quotes about Malcolm. And I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about Malcolm on Sunday because I have two hours on my Sunday show. My allergy will be better on Sunday than it is today. My allergy is better today than it was last week. There's a lot of, there's a high concentration of pollen in the air. Um, but I said, you know, I'll talk about um, a speech that a lot of people 
quote like part of the enemy's necessary part of but they haven't read the speech and this goes for a lot of Malcolm speeches in the first place this goes for a lot of Malcolm speeches as well as Dr. King this is why I say it's all right to listen to the speeches but we really have to read these speeches so this is at blackpass.org blackpass.org has about 6,000 pages dealing with african-american history and african history this is his speech from june 28th 1964 that people call that that has been called by enemies necessary malcolm x announces the formation of the organization of afro-american unity okay so this is after he officially separated from the nation of islam march 8th 1964. this is after he came back from his hajj to mecca in touring 14 different african nations okay uh one of the best documentaries on malcolm x that i always recommend is the documentary make it plain it's on uh youtube make it plain Dr. John Henrik Clark, one of our great grandmaster scholar warriors, is in the documentary. He was friends with Malcolm, provided Malcolm with a lot of historical information as well. Yes, he, yes, Malcolm's teacher was the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but Malcolm and, Doc, and, and Dr. Clark were good friends. Dr. Clark provided Malcolm with a lot of historical information as well. Some people don't know that. Also, incidentally, because I wore uh, my main, my favorite Muhammad Ali shirt yesterday on yesterday's show. Didn't want to wear it again on today's show. So I was looking in my closet and saying, okay, so what should I wear? What should I wear for today's show? So then I saw my other favorite Muhammad Ali shirt. So I said, okay, well, let me wear this on Malcolm's birthday because we know Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X were good friends. Okay, till... Uh, you know, Malcolm separates from the nation of Islam and things like that. And then their friendship ends in May of 1964. Malcolm toured, toured West Africa and made a pilgrim pilgrimage to Mecca, returning as El Haj Malik El Shabazz. Now, he already said as an interview where he already says that was already his name and it was already on his passport before he separates from the nation of Islam, before he comes out. And publicly says his name is El Haj Malik El Shabazz. It was already on his passport. That was already his name. He just didn't use it. Um, um, he, 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 he used Malcolm X. Okay. He just didn't use it in the mainstream, so to speak. While in Ghana in May 1964, he decided to form the organization of Afro American Unity. Okay. Also, when he's in Ghana, he meets Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou comes back to the U.S. to help him organize the Organization of Afro-American Unity. It's important to note that this is after he meets um, Dr. King for the first and only time. Okay, that was before he went on his hajj to Mecca. And there's a good article from the Washington Post that deals with this. 
Martin Luther King Jr. met Malcolm X just once. The, the photo still haunts us with what was lost. This is why when you study Malcolm as well as Dr. King, you have to um, you, you, you have to understand chronology. You have to understand the timeline. Okay. And it's like, if you're going to quote Malcolm, you need to know, okay, was this, was this when Malcolm was in the nation of Islam or outside the nation of Islam? Was this before he went on his Hajj to Mecca or after he went on his Hajj to Mecca? Because a lot of people think Malcolm was against voting. No, he wasn't against voting. It means you haven't read Malcolm because in this speech that I'm about to show you, he talks about the, he talks about the need for African-Americans to vote and register as independents. Malcolm was not against voting. He was talking about getting something for your vote and understanding how to leverage your vote. He's also talking about controlling the economics in our community, but also controlling the politicians, controlling the schools, all that, controlling that in, in our communities. Okay, now, if we look at here, okay, this one here. This is a good article, June 14, 2018, Deneen L. Brown, and it showed a, uh, the picture here of uh dr king and malcolm this was march 26 1964. march 26 1964 this is the only time that they met right before malcolm was assassinated they were trying to set up another meeting malcolm i think it was either january or february of 1965 malcolm goes down to selma alabama and he wants to meet with dr king dr king's in jail malcolm meets with coretta scott king okay um, but they could never set up another meeting between the two. This meeting here only lasted a couple of minutes. This was at the 1964 U.S. Senate debate for the Civil Rights Act. When Malcolm meets Dr. King, Malcolm tells Dr. King, I'm throwing myself into the heart of the civil rights struggle because Ma Malcolm joins the civil rights movement once he leaves the Nation of Islam. And even while he was in the Nation of Islam toward the end of his tenure in the nation of Islam, he felt the nation should do more when it came to the civil rights movement in helping uh, our people fight for uh, fight for our rights and things like this. But Malcolm tells Dr. King, I'm throwing myself into the heart of the civil rights movement. If you read his speech, the battle of the bullet, one of the themes of the battle of the bullet. And uh, let me see, which one of my Malcolm X books here? On his speeches, uh, Malcolm X speaks uh, this right here. OK, Malcolm X speaks. Has uh, the Battle of the Bullet, the one from uh, April 3rd in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, uh, Corey Methodist Church, because he delivered it three times that I know of March 29th, 1964 in Washington Heights, New York, three days after he met Dr. King, then April 3rd, 1964. Coy Methodist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. Then here in Detroit, April 4th, 1964, at uh, King Solomon Baptist Church. This book right here has a lot of Malcolm's speeches, a lot of his last speeches. Malcolm X speaks, edited with prefatory notes, notes by George Brightman. One of the, one of the themes of the Battle of the Bullet is injecting black nationalism into the civil rights movement. All right, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, we'll keep going for a few more minutes. Um, follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, and my YouTube channel, Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back Sunday. I'll be on, on Roller Martin Unfiltered on Friday. 
Right now, it's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. All right, stand by. All right, so let's go back to this here. So Malcolm tells Dr. King, I'm throwing myself into the heart of the civil rights struggle. Now, also, it's important to note that Malcolm called for unification of the civil rights leaders and their followers the, the month before the March on Washington, while he was still in the Islam, July 31st, I think it was July 31st, 1963. Um, Malcolm sends a letter to July 31st, 1963. Eight months before their brief meeting on Capitol Hill, Malcolm X sent a letter to Dr. King, as well as the other leading civil rights leaders, the big six civil rights leaders. He sent them a letter requesting a meeting the letter was dated July 31st, 1963. This is the month before the March on Washington, which took place August 28th, 1963. The return address was Muhammad's Mosque, number seven, uh, 113 Lenox Avenue, New York, 26, New York. Malcolm opened the letter with the greeting, Dear Sir, Malcolm called for a united front against racial oppression in the country. He said the present racial crisis in this country carries within it powerful destructive ingredients that may soon erupt into an uncontrollable explosion. The seriousness of this situation demands that immediate steps be taken to solve this crucial problem by those who have genuine concern before the racial powder keg explodes. A united front of all Negro factions, elements, and their leaders is absolutely necessary. A united front involving all Negro factions, elements, and their leaders is absolutely necessary. And I would argue the same thing applies right now. Okay. See, a lot of times when, when I hear people talk about Malcolm, they don't talk about this. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why they don't talk about this. Malcolm was calling for a unification of the civil rights leaders and their followers while he was still in the nation of Islam. This is why we have to read Malcolm. See, a lot of times... It's all right to listen to Malcolm's speeches, but a lot of times they become entertainment. When you read it, you get a deeper understanding. When you read Malcolm's speeches, you get a deeper understanding of his speeches and you can study them. Malcolm X warned that a racial explosion is more destructive than a nuclear explosion, citing a recent meeting between President John F. Kennedy and Soviet Premier Nikita Khrushchev. Malcolm said, despite their tremendous ideological differences, it's a disgrace for Negro leaders not to be able to submerge our minor differences in order to seek a common solution to a common problem posed by a common enemy. So Malcolm wasn't, even though he had the debate in 63 with James Farmer and Y.T. Walker, 
that was June 63. That was right around the time Mega Everest was killed. This is this is uh the month after that. But Malcolm is calling for a unification of the civil rights leaders and put aside our minor differences in order to seek a common solution to a common problem posed by a common enemy. Malcolm X invited Dr. King to a rally that August, August 1963, in Harlem, New York, to analyze the race problem and the solution, not to have a debate so you can make money off of it. Not to have a YouTube debate so you can make money off of it. He invited Dr. King to a rally that August, August 1963, in Harlem, New York, to analyze the race problem and the solution. He promised to moderate the meeting and guarantee courtesy for each speaker. He requested that if Dr. King could not attend to send a representative, closing the letter with an endearment, your brother Malcolm X. Does this sound like he hated Dr. King? Even though at times he says some unkind things about Dr. King, there was when, when Malcolm leaves the Nation of Islam, when you watch the movie, when you watch the documentary, uh, make it plain. There was a meeting that took place at Juanita Portier's house, who was Sidney Portier's first wife. That was the black woman. That was the black wife. There was a meeting between Malcolm X and the leading civil rights leaders. Dr. King didn't make it, but he sent a surrogate. At this meeting, they put all of their differences out on the table so that they could come together and work together. This is one of the reasons why that documentary, Make It Plain, is so important. It's on YouTube. Go watch it. It's about a two-hour documentary. It's one of the best documentaries of Malcolm X. Malcolm was about African people coming together to find a common solution to a common problem posed by a common enemy. And I listen to people talk about Malcolm. I can tell they haven't studied him. Dr. King declined the invitation. Now, this is July, August 1963. Dr. King declined the invitation and did not send a representative, according to the book, Malcolm and the Cross, The Nation of Islam, Malcolm X and Christianity by Louis A. DeCaro Jr. So we know the March on Washington took place August 28, 1963. Now, what gets talked about very little is what happened February 24th, 1966. Because Dr. King and Coretta Scott King go to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's house and Dr. King meets with Elijah Muhammad. Uh, let me see here. There is, where is my, Nation of Islam has a, they have an article at their website on this. And there's information out there on this also. Um, Okay, this one right here. 
I'm looking at my archives. It's got thousands of articles archived. Okay, this one, Dr. Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King, not a dreamer. This article here. This is at uh, NOI.org. A lot of people don't talk about this. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has asked all people to study the last speeches of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and to reflect on the evolution of his message from one of an integrationist dreamer Dr. King was 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 talking about uh, uh, breaking the back of segregation more so than integration. It is a difference. People really have to research this to understand the difference. In 1963, to one of a true wide awake revolutionary in 1968, Dr. King has always been a revolutionary. In 1949, when he was at Crozier Theological Seminary, Dr. King wrote a wrote a paper dealing with the influence of the mystery religions on Christianity, including Osiris, Isis, and Horus. He, he wrote this in 1949. Dr. King was always a revolutionary. Yes, his ideology evolved, just like Malcolm's ideology evolved. Malcolm's ideology evolved after Malcolm left the Islam. Dr. King was always a revolutionary. <clears throat> it is clear that Dr. King began to consider the teachings of, of uh, Elijah Muhammad uh, it had profound relevance to the struggle of black freedom in America. Dr. King and his wife, Coretta Scott King, met with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad at his Chicago home on February 24, 1966. Privately, Dr. King indicated a true shift in his belief that the pursuit of integration through nonviolent uh, non civil rights struggle would be the answer to the uh, righteous demands of his oppressed people. In his last days of his life, Dr. King confided in Harry Belafonte. Uh, he said, you know, we fought long and hard for integration, but I'll tell you, Harry, I've come to the realization that uh, really deeply troubles me. I've come to the realization that I think we may be integrating into a burning house. Okay, now the problem is, is that they didn't finish that quote. Because Harry Belafonte responds, what should we do? Dr. King responds, we should become firemen. He says, we cannot just stand by and let the house burn. A fireman is one who actively gets involved and puts out the fire. A fireman is not one who just stand by and watches the, the fire burn. So I appreciate them bringing this up, but you got to finish the quote. You have to finish. This is the count from Harry Belafonte. Okay. So here's here, here, here's here's a reference for this Amsterdam News that um, has the Amsterdam News because I hear people only quote part of this. So either you purposely withhold withholding the rest of it, or your ass didn't read. Um, this one right here. This is all stuff in my archives. I have thousands of articles. I've been studying history 30 years. I have thousands of articles in my uh, archives. This one right here from Amsterdam News. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
I fear I am integrating my people into a burning house. This from right here, January 12, 2017. I fear I'm integrating my people into a burning house. I heard somebody just call in the Reverend Al Sharpton show this week and say this. He said the first part of what Harry Belafonte said, but he he didn't say what Dr. King's response to what Harry Belafonte said was. Okay, so you can read you can read this whole thing. I don't have time to get through all of it, but goes right here. This is Harry Belafonte's account of the conversation. At, uh, okay, Harry Belafonte, I remember, Harry Belafonte said, I remember the last time we were together at my home shortly before he was murdered. He seemed quite agitated and preoccupied and I asked him what the problem was. According to Harry Belafonte, Dr. King responded, I've come upon something that deeply disturbs me. We have fought hard and long for integration. The real fight was for desegregation, not integration. When you actually do a systems, systems analysis of the civil rights movement, actually study the civil rights movement, the real fight was for desegregation and not integration. The fight wasn't to give up your schools, give up your businesses and, 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 and move into white spaces. The, the fight was for, it was, goes back to even after World War I ended, we want full citizenship now. We want, we want to break the back of segregation Segregation was written into the, the written into written into the state constitutions. Segregation was written into the state constitution of Alabama in 1901. Remember, Alabama had an 1867 Reconstruction Constitution, which uh, really gave equal rights to African Americans. But that all that stuff is going to be reversed after Reconstruction ends. 1901 after after uh, uh, Mississippi rewrote their state constitution in 1890. Then imposing poll taxes and literacy tests, Alabama um, writes, rewrites their state constitution in 1901, and they uh, impose segregation into their state constitution. That was uh, 1901, and let me see here. These are, so I teach about this in the uh, class I teach on Sundays. Um, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Okay, this is why you really have to, you can't just go off of slogans and and, 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 and clips of Malcolm saying this and Dr. King saying this. You have to understand context, chronology. You have to understand what was said after, the, after that clip, what was said before that clip. You have to understand what was taking place in society at that time. This is from... The Encyclopedia of Alabama, encyclopediaofalabama.org, Alabama Constitution of 1901, written primarily to codify white supremacy by disenfranchising or disenfranchising blacks. The Constitution of 1901 in Alabama, the Constitution of 1901 continues to shape Alabama politics in the 21st century. The, the Constitution also concentrated power in the state legislature, decreased opportunities for home rule, and established voter requirements, and established voter requirements that even many white men could not meet, reducing the political influence of 
the states many poor whites, but they were but but they were attacking African Americans. They sacrificed some poor white people to attack the rights of African Americans and to reduce our political power. This was written into the Mrs. The, the Alabama State Constitution in 1901. The political development that led to the Constitution in 1901 originated in the post-Civil War Reconstruction era. Reconstruction was 1865 to 1877, which still impacts us today, which is why you needed a modern day civil rights movement. Because the 19th, because the, the, the Civil Rights uh, Act of 64 outlawed the Jim Crow laws, which were written into the state constitutions, and it was um, made legal, uh, 1896, Pledge versus Ferguson, even though you had Brown versus Board of Education, that dealt with schools, that dealt with education. You still had all these segregation, you still had all, all these Jim Crow segregation laws, and, and, and we're being discriminated when it came to employment, things like this. And still, even after Brown versus Board of Education, a lot of Southern states did not enforce the law. The Republican controlled U.S. Congress abolished the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, contrary to popular belief, did not re-enslave African-Americans. It was based upon the, what's known as the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. The main architect of the 13th Amendment was Senator uh, Lynn Trumbull. Senator Lynn Trumbull, I think he's from Illinois. Senator Lynn Trumbull researched the Northwest Ordinance of 1787 people think oh the 13th amendment enslaved them because it said that um you could only be re uh re-enslaved if you're convicted of a, a of a felony things like this that law already applied to white men and they're giving the same rights that white men have to african-americans this is why you need a 13th amendment 14th amendment 15th amendment you needed the force act the force acts F-O-R-C-E, the Force Acts. They're given the same rights. You need the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which laid the foundation for the 14th Amendment of 1868. The 13th Amendment, and I interviewed um, my friend, Dr. Daryl Scott, history professor at Howard University. We did a two-hour interview here on the show where we broke down the history of the 13th Amendment, and we talked about the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. Okay, so, and we talked about uh, also Ava DuVernay's documentary, um, 13th, which is flawed, historically flawed. 13th Amendment did not re-enslave uh, the former slaves, things like this, no. That comes from a lack of understanding of history. Okay, so uh, this is from uh, Alabama.com, but uh, read the rest of this here. This deals with the uh, 13th Amendment. I mean, this deals with, um, uh, Alabama State Constitution in 1901, okay? And those are, uh, because when we deal with the class from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power 1865 and 1968, we, we, we look at these state constitutions to see what happened 
And this is why you needed a modern day civil rights movement because of what happened in Florida in 1889. Florida was the first state to have poll taxes because of what happened in Mississippi in 1890 and South Carolina in 1895, Louisiana 1898, and then rewriting the state constitutions. That's why you needed a modern day civil rights movement. So back to this one very quickly here, and I have to get out of here. Back to this one here, this article from, um, let's go to, which one is this? I want the one from, uh, let's go to this here. I want the one from, yeah, I want this one right here. Let's go back to this one here. This is from Amsterdam News. Okay, so. Dr. King, this is Harry Belafonte recounting his last meeting with Dr. King. I've come upon something that disturbs me deeply, blah, blah, blah. I, I know we will win, but I, I have come to the belief, I have come to believe that we are integrating into a burning house. I'm afraid that America has lost the moral vision she may have had. And I'm afraid that even as we integrate, we are walking into um uh, a place that does not understand that this nation needs to be deeply concerned with the plight of the poor and disenfranchised. And we know he leads the poor people's campaign and he's assassinated and the poor people's campaign continues until we commit ourselves. This is Harry Belafonte recounting his last meeting with Dr. King. People only quote like two sentences out of this whole passage that Harry Belafonte explains. Until we commit ourselves to ensuring that the underclass is given justice and opportunity, we will continue to perpetuate the anger and violence. We will continue to perpetuate the anger and violence that tears the soul of this nation. Okay. He said, I fear I'm integrating my people into a burning house. I fear I'm integrating my people into a burning house. Now, 99% of the time when people talk about this, they stop there. They don't even give you the background information. They just stop there, right? That, that wasn't the full conversation. Belafonte added, quote, that statement took me aback. It was the last thing I would have expected to hear considering the nat nature of our struggle. Belafonte said he asked King, what should we do? And Dr. King replied, now 99.9% .9 of the time, nobody says this. Dr. King replied, we become firemen. He said, become the firemen. Harry Belafonte asked Dr. King, what should we do? He said, Dr. King replied, quote, become the firemen, end quote. You can add firewomen. He said, let us not stand by. He said, Dr. King went on to say, let us not stand by and let the house burn. A fireman or firewoman is one who actively gets involved and puts out the fire, not stands by and just let the house burn and point at the house and say, oh, the house is burning. The house is burning. All right. So read this article here from uh, New York Amsterdam News. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., I fear I'm integrating my people into a burning house. And, and, and read Dr. King's books, please. Okay? I had people quoting Dr. King. I, I, this is why a lot of Dr. King Day celebrations I don't like going to, because I'm listening to people talking, speaking, and they ain't read a damn thing Dr. King wrote. They don't even understand uh, 
the speech uh, August 28, 1963, which was originally called Normalcy Never Again. Then it was called uh, a canceled check. Then it was called I Have a Dream. The speech was not about a dream. Dr. King is talking about dismantling white supremacy and racism. Read, he wrote five books. This is, to me, his most important book. This is his last book. Where do we go from here? Chaos or community. Okay. Chapter two of the book is called Black Power. He talks about the Black Power Movement. He wasn't against the Black Power Movement. He just, and he and he was friends with Kwame Ture, Stokely Carmichael, and uh, Mukasa Dada, Mukasa Dada, Willie Ricks, who became Mukasa Dada. They're the ones who coined the term Black Power. They got Dr. King to use it. Dr. King backs away from the term. He, he believed in black power, but he just felt that power had power did not have a color. OK, so he stopped using the term black power. But chapter two of the book is called Black Power. It's about the black power movement. Let me see. This is, goes to right here. Chapter two is called Black Power. I don't know if he's OK about the black power movement. Now, page 133. Page 133 of his book. Now, we talked about Dr. King meeting. Elijah Muhammad. Right here. Um, uh, I didn't mean to close that out. Bring that back up. I want to close out Amsterdam News. Bring this one back up here. About when, uh, yeah, right here. Okay. When he meets uh, Elijah Muhammad. Because a lot of people really don't talk about this. February 28th, 1966, okay? Coretta Scott King and, 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 and Dr. King go to Chicago, Elijah Muhammad's house, and meet with him. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., right, pictured, and this is not Photoshop, pictured in his first meeting with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad left head of the black Muslims, February 24th, 1966 in Chicago. Okay. So, um, he goes on to say his indictment of white America grew harsher and unsparing, uh, white America left the Negro on the ground and in devastating numbers walked off with the aggressor. It appeared that the white segregationist and the ordinary white citizen had, had more in common with one another than either had with the Negro, okay? Um, by 1968, Dr. Dr. King was unequivocal about the country and the war, the Vietnam War, to which white America and many Negro leaders were irrevocably faithful. Dr. King said, and I am sad to say that the nation in which we live is the supreme culprit. God did not call... I did not call America to engage in a senseless, unjust war as the war in Vietnam. And we are criminals in that war. We have committed more. Uh, we have committed more war crimes almost in any nation in the world. And I'm going to continue to say it. OK. OK. So read this piece here. Uh, this is dealing with uh, uh, Dr. King meeting uh, Elijah Muhammad. February 24th, 1966. Okay, now. Um, and then read the. Then read the article also here from the Washington Post. 
by Deneen L. Brown. Martin Luther King Jr. met Malcolm X just once. The photo still haunts us with what was lost. Martin Luther King Jr. met Malcolm X just once. The photo still haunts us with what was lost. It's a really good article, and it talks about uh, Malcolm uh, saying he was going to throw his heart into the all of his effort into the heart of the civil rights movement. Because Malcolm joins the civil rights movement after he leads the Nation of Islam. Yes, he founds the Organization of Afro-American Unity. That's true. And Malcolm goes down south and speaks to SNCC. Fannie Lou Hamer invites him to come uh, speak to SNCC. Okay. Um, so read this. Now, there was, I want to go back to speech here. This is from blackpass.org. We'll go back to that in just a second here from blackpass.org. But on page um, page 133 of where do we go from here, chaos or community, but Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he wrote five books. Dr. King praises the nation of Islam. Dr. King said, um, he, he's talking about the need for group unity. Page 132, he says, there are still too many Negro churches that are so absorbed in a future good over yonder that they can that they condition their members to adjust to the present evils over here. There, there, are too, there are still too many Negro churches that are so absorbed in a future good over yonder that they continue their that, that they can that, that that they can condition their members to adjust to the present evils over here. Too many Negro newspapers have veered away from their traditional role as protest organs agitating for social change and have turned to the sensational and the conservative in place of the substantive and the militant. Too many Negro, too many Negro social and professional groups have, de have de degenerated into snobbishness and a preoccupation with frivolities and trivial activity. Okay, so that's on page 132. So he continues on 133. Then he says, um, he's talking about the need for group unity. He's talking about the need for group unity. He said, through this form of group unity, we can begin a constructive program which will vigorously seek to improve our personal standards. It is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of high maturity to rise to the level of self-criticism. Then he goes on to talk about uh, the nation of Islam. He says, through group unity, we must convey to one another that our women must be respected and that life is too precious to be destroyed in a Saturday night brawl or a, or a gang execution. Through community agencies and religious institutions, we must develop a positive program through which Negro youth can become adjusted 
to urban living and, and improve their general level of behavior. While I strongly disagree with their separatist black supremacy philosophy, I have nothing but admiration for what our Muslim brothers have done to rehabilitate ex-convicts, dope addicts, and men and women who through, who through despair and self-hatred have sunk to moral degeneracy. This must be attempted on a much larger scale and without the negative overtones that accompany black Muslim, black Muslimism. Okay. So read, read the rest of that. That's page 133 of uh, where do we go from here? Chaos of community with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. All right. Now, if we go back to this quickly, not to get out of here. Um, this one right here. Okay, June 28, 1964. All right. Uh, Malcolm delivers his speech announcing the organization of Afro-American unity. Malcolm returned to New York the following month to create the OAAU. And on June 28th, gave his first public address on behalf of the new organization at the Audubon Ballroom in Washington Heights, in the Washington Heights section of Manhattan. The address appears below. Okay, so we're going to skip. You read the rest of that. He laid out a five plank platform. Okay, he laid out a five plank platform uh, for the OAAU. OAAU. Um, okay, one talks about establishment. Okay, uh, the organization uh, of Afro American unity shall include all people of African descent in the Western Hemisphere, etc. So read that. Then two, self-defense. Since self-preservation is the first law of nature, we assert the Afro-Americans right to self-defense. It talks about the U.S. Constitution, Second Amendment, things like this. Okay, we assert that in those areas where the government is either unable or, un or unwilling to protect the lives and protect our people, that our people are within our rights to protect themselves by whatever means necessary. Okay, we assert that, okay, Okay, so he talks about that. Now, uh, this part three, education. Okay, he lays out education. And then also it's important to note, and if you read the book, This Nonviolent Stuff That Gets You Killed, How Guns Made the Civil Rights Movement Possible, you know that what people call a nonviolent movement was really not nonviolence because if it had not been for Negroes with guns, it would not have been a civil rights movement. You have to read this book here about Professor Charles E. Cobb Jr. This nonviolent stuff will get you killed. How guns made the civil rights movement possible. It was Negroes with guns protecting the civil rights workers that made the civil rights movement possible. Professor Charles E. Cobb Jr. was there. He was a field secretary for SNCC for five years in rural Mississippi, organizing um, African-Americans uh, to register to vote in rural Mississippi. If you know anything about Mississippi, you know that was very dangerous work, okay? And he talked about how uh, they never stayed in somebody's house. In all the black people's houses that they stayed in when they were down there had a gun in there, a shotgun over the mantle or something like that. It was Negroes with guns. Even before the Deacons for Defense of Justice were founded in 1964 in Jonesboro, Louisiana, even before then. Okay, so three, he talks about education. 
And I must point out right here, when I was in Africa, I met no African. Uh, when I was in Africa, I met no African who wasn't standing with open arms to embrace any Afro-American who returned to the African continent. She talks about education, um, having our own schools. She talks about studying our history, different things like this. Okay, education is our passport to the future, but tomorrow belongs only to the people who prepare for it today. This is where that quote comes from. Okay, so then he talks about um, organization of Afro-American unity. Okay, four, politics and economics. He lays out a poli uh, political and economic agenda, okay? Just one sec, I'll be right back. All right, so he lays out a political and economic agenda. This is the fourth plank. He says, and, and, and he said, and the two are almost inseparable because the politician is depending on some money. Yes, that, that's what he's depending on. He said, basically there are two kinds of power that count in America, economic power and political power, economic power and political power with social power being derived from those two in order for the Afro in order for the Afro American Afro Americans to control their destiny, they must be able to control and affect the decisions which control their destiny. Economic, political, and social. When I had Dr. Leonard Jeffries and professor James small on in April, uh, and we were talking about the pyramid principle in African history and culture, which gives us our VIPs, our values, our interests, and our principles in economic empowerment and political empowerment. That all comes together. This is what Malcolm is talking about. They must be able to control and affect the decisions which control their destiny. This can only be done through organization. The organization of Afro-American unity will organize the Afro-American community block by block to make community aware of its power and potential. We will start immediately a voter registration, a voter registration drive. We will start immediately a voter registration drive to make every unregistered voter in the Afro-American community an independent voter. People think Malcolm is against voting. No, you haven't studied Malcolm. You have to study Malcolm after he leaves the Nation of Islam, where he, he can speak freely and for himself. And his ideology is, is evolving. 
Okay, let me scroll back down to this here. All right. That's four. Let me see. Okay. So block by block, the Organization of Afro-American Unity will organize the Afro-American community block by block to make the community aware to make the community aware of its power and its potential. We will start immediately a voter registration drive to make every unregistered voter in the Afro-American community an independent voter. Now this was before, this was towards the end of the party realignment with the Democrats and the Republicans where the Southern segregationists, Democrats largely lead the Democratic Party, go to the Republican Party. You're gonna, ha you're gonna have some people who are Republicans lead the Republican Party, switch over to the Democratic Party. And African Americans, we didn't switch over to the Democratic Party because of the Civil Rights Act of '64 and the Voting Rights Act of '65. That switch start that goes back to 1928. And what's known as the Lily White Movement of 1928, when Republicans were trying to get Southern segregationist Democrats in five former Confederate states to vote for Herbert Hoover, who was the 1928 presidential candidate for Republicans. And Republicans started ignoring the issues and concerns of African Americans and they started pushing us out of the Republican Party. That's known as the Lily White Movement of 1928 that's what the switch that's what the party realignment goes back to by 1960 two-thirds of african americans had already switched switched over to the democratic party so research that i've done a three-hour lecture dealing with why we switched from the republican party to the democratic party that goes back to the lily white movement of 1928 We won't organize any black man to be Democrat or Republican because uh, both of them sold us out. Now, um, let me tell you this. All you got to do right now is look at look at, at whose policies are more beneficial for African-Americans. Look who keeps voting for policies that are beneficial for African-Americans. It's easy to see the Democratic Party, neither one are perfect, but it's easy to see the Democratic Party is much better than the Republican Party. All you got to do is go back and look at the uh, show we did last night because the Republican Party is not the party Lincoln anymore. It's, 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 it's gotten much worse. It's gotten much worse if you actually understand politics. But you don't even have to follow politics. All you got to do is just look at um, what happened on Wednesday when you had the uh, vote in the House of Representatives for the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act that came back up as a result of the Buffalo shooting massacre. House passes legislation aimed at curbing domestic terrorism in wake of Buffalo mass shooting. Washington Post, we talked about this on, on yesterday's show. The vote was 222 to 203. The only people that voted for the bill were Democrats, except for one Republican, Representative Adam Kissinger of Illinois. 203 Republicans voted no on the bill. This is why when you quote Malcolm talking about Democrats and Republicans, you, you have to understand what happened after 
that speech. Malcolm, Malcolm is assassinated before the full party realignment is completed. This is why you have to understand what happens after Malcolm is assassinated. You can't just quote him and think that all that stuff is just suspended in, in time in suspended animation like Captain America, something like that. No. You go look at the Emmett Till, uh the, the, the okay, not the Emmett Till anti lynch bill. You look at the um John Lewis Voting Rights Act. That vote was 219 to 211. All the Republicans in the House of Representatives and the Senate voted against the bill. All the Republicans in the House and the Senate, there's 50 Republicans in the Senate. None of them voted for the bill, including 16 Republicans who voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act in 2006. This is a different Republican Party, totally different Republican Party. Much worse. We've, we've talked about this here on this show before. These are the 16 Republicans who are in the Senate right now who voted against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act and who also voted against Joe Manchin's bill, the Freedom to Vote Act. But these 16 voted to reauthorize the, two, uh, the, the Voting Rights Act in 2006, including Mitch McConnell, in, uh, including Chuck Grassley, including Susan Collins, including Richard Shelby and punk-ass Lindsey Graham, okay, and Marsha Blackburn. All of them, okay? Shelley Moore Capito, who's the other uh, senator from West Virginia where Manchin is. Manchin at least voted for the bill. He didn't vote to change the filibuster rules, but neither did any of the 50 Republicans. But these 16 Republicans in 2006 voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act because if you understand anything about the Voting Rights Act, when it came to reauthorize it, that was... It got overwhelming bipartisan support. That wasn't a partisan issue. Donald Trump has made it a partisan issue. This is a totally different party. This stuff is, I mean, we haven't seen things like this since like, Reconstru since like the Reconstruction era. Okay, and then after Reconstruction, the Jim Crow era. All right, for the sake of time, let me go back to this quickly here. So read the rest of this. Um, see all this, the party realignment. You have to study the party realignment, okay, and what happened. Because a lot of Southern segregationists like a Strom Thurmond, things like this, they left the Democratic Party went to the Republican Party. This is why when I hear people, I can listen to people and tell that when you quote something, you stuck in 64, 65, 63, and you don't understand history that happened after that. Okay, so he talks about politics and economics. Read the rest of that. Then he talks about uh, also um, the, the vote on the Moore Act, M-O-R-E, the vote on the Moore Act, to decriminalize marijuana. It took place a couple months ago in the House of Representatives. Only three Republicans voted to decriminalize marijuana. All the Democrats voted for it, basically. And not only would it decriminalize marijuana, it would expunge uh, federal marijuana. It would expunge federal marijuana 
convictions from your record dating back to 1971. Basically, all the Democrats voted for the bill. Only three Republicans out of over 200 voted for the bill. When you look at the Crown Act, if you go to Congress.gov and look up these bills, Congress.gov, go to Congress.gov and look up these bills. This is why you have to like really understand what's going on right now and stop quoting stuff from 63, 64, out of, totally out of context and not understanding the history that happened after 1963 and after 64. Congress.gov, you can look up these bills. You can read a summary of them, but more importantly, it shows you who voted for the bill and who voted against the bill. Okay, it's just like I posted on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, in my in my YouTube channel, and my, my personal page, Michael M. Hotel. We posted about the vote that took place uh i think it was wednesday uh dealing with baby formula this one right here washington post this is a totally different republican party nearly 200 republicans vote against bill to ease baby formula shortage they don't even give a damn about white babies this is this is from the vote took place uh was that Wednesday or Thursday? Wednesday. The vote took place Wednesday. House GOP leaders were among 192 Republicans who voted against providing 28 million dollars in aid to the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, to address the shortage of baby formula. Now, the bill passed the House is expected to pass the Senate because Democrats are in control of the House. So the bill passed the House. You had 192 Republicans who voted against this bill to provide, to aid in providing baby formula for babies? They don't even give a damn about white babies unless they're in the mother's womb. When they get outside the womb, they don't care. This is a different Republican Party. When they get outside the womb, they don't care. They're not pro-life. They're pro-birth. Because if they were pro-life, they would be funding uh, Head Start, free pre-K, you know, increase uh, WIC. They would, they would be all over this right here. They were complaining. Republicans were complaining about the shortage of baby formula. But they're not doing anything to help alleviate the problem. 192 Republicans, almost 200, voted against the bill. They don't even care about white babies. Um, so House GOP leaders were among 102 Republicans who voted against providing $28 million to aid in aid to the Food and Drug Administration. To address the shortage of baby formula within days, within days of criticizing President Joe Biden for not doing enough on the issue. Republicans, they don't have a they, 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 they don't have solutions to these problems. Just focus on cultural issues, cultural wars, critical race theory, stealing elections, overthrowing the government, domestic terror. They, they voted against the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act. Why did they vote against the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act? Only one Republican voted for the bill? 
Why they vote against it? Well, have you been following what's taking place with the January 6th committee? They're investigating domestic terrorism. And there's a lot of these Republicans that were involved in planning the January 6th domestic terrorist attack. And the Domestic Terrorist Prevention Act would give the Department of Justice, give the FBI and Homeland Security more authority to monitor this, go into these chat rooms, go into these rooms on Telegraph and Discord, stuff like this, that they use to organize the January 6th insurrection to go in there and thwart a lot of this stuff. That's why, no, this, that's why only one Republican voted for that bill. Because because a lot of a lot of those Republicans were involved in planning that insurrection. And they know if you give that authority to this is why it's important to go read this article. We dealt with this on yesterday's show. OK, because, because the story the story broke late. Uh, the story broke late uh, Wednesday. The story broke late Wednesday that the bill passed the House of Representatives. House passes legislation aimed at curbing domestic terrorism in wake of Buffalo mass shooting. People are asking now, once again, all you have to do is look at how people vote. This is why Congress.gov is so important. Look at how people vote. Look and see who keeps voting overwhelmingly for the bills that you say you want. George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Only people that voted for the bill were Democrats. That vote was 220 to 212. The only Republican in the House of Representatives that voted for that bill, he said he made a mistake. And was, he put out a tweet, said he made a mistake and he was going to change his vote. Even the two black Republicans in the House of Representatives didn't vote for the bill. The House on Wednesday, May 18th, passed legislation that would create domestic terrorism offices across three federal agencies spurred by alarm over the rise in incidents of homegrown violent extremism in recent years. Representative Bradley Schneider, Democrat of Illinois, pushed for a vote on the bill known as the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act in the wake of Saturday's mass shooting at a supermarket in Buffalo. So this is what Democrats are doing and Republicans are doing nothing except voting against a bill like this, Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act. 11 of the 13 people shot were African-Americans and authorities are investigating, authorities are investigating the incident as a hate crime in a case of racially motivated violent extremism the measure was approved 222 to 203 one republican adam kissinger who's on the january 6th committee also adam kissinger is not running for re-election he's only one of two republicans on the january 6th committee one republican representative adam kissinger of illinois joined all democrats present in voting yes the legislation's future remains uncertain in the senate where Democrats have the slimmest of majorities 50-50 in the Senate. And a unanimous vote on similar legislation was blocked by Republicans two years ago. Why are Republicans against a domestic terrorism prevention act? Because if this had something to do with Muslim extremists, they would be all for it. But why are you against monitoring homegrown terrorism? And, and, and this will focus on white supremacists. A Washington Post analysis last year of data compiled by the Center for Strategic and International Studies showed that domestic terrorism showed that domestic terrorism incidents have surged to new heights predominantly due to a rise in white supremacists and anti-Muslim and anti-government extremism on the far right. This is why Republicans vote against this bill, because 
this bill right here is coming from Democrats. What this would do is investigate a lot of that and keep a lot of that stuff from happening. A whole lot of these people, a whole lot of these white supremacists will go to jail. And it's going to be some of these Republicans that end up going to prison also. That's why they voted against this. Okay, read the rest of this. We talked about this, uh, someone yesterday's show. Read the rest of that. All right. Let's go back to this one quickly, not to get out of here. I ain't planning to be here this long. Okay, so the fifth plank was social. Okay, in, in, in Malcolm's speech laying out the organization of Afro-American unity and their philosophy and, and the five planks. Five is social. This organization is responsibly only to the Afro-American people and the Afro-American community. This organization is not responsible to anybody but us. We don't have to ask the man downtown, can we demonstrate? We don't have to ask the man downtown, what tactics can we use to demonstrate our resentment against this criminal abuse? Okay, so read the rest of this also. Um, the organization is responsible only to the Afro-American people and community and will function only with their support, both financially and numerically. We believe that our communities must be the sources of their own strength politically, economically, intellectually, and culturally in the struggle for human rights and human dignity. Um, So in this speech, in this speech, Malcolm says, in essence, it only means we want one thing. We declare our right. In essence, it means we only want one thing. He said, we declare our right we declare our right on this earth to be a man to be We declare our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being, to be respected as a man, to be given the rights of a human being in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intend to bring into existence by any means necessary. All right, so read the rest of the speech. They have the full speech here. 1964, June 28th, 1964, Malcolm X's speech at the founding rally of the Organization of Afro-American Unity. Okay, that's at blackpass.org. All right, look, hey, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network. We definitely need your support. Dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. 
It's us. Let's keep doing research. Stay on the air. Keep broadcasting. Pay some of the bills. We also have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. When you go to our cash app account, it's, it, uh, our tag is dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. It says Michael and shows my picture there. These other ones here are fake African History Network cash app accounts. That's not us. I'm trying to, um, cash app has launched an investigation. I'm trying to get them shut down. So I checked with them a few days ago, earlier this week. They said the investigation is still going on. Uh, so we have our link here and a yellow PayPal donate button. Also, uh, we have the documentary from director Amadeus Christ, Heavy is the Crown. That's available. Also, the new documentary deals with African origins of major religions. You get one of my lectures free with it. Also, we have that on DVD. On uh, Saturdays, I teach the online class, Ancient Kemet, one of the original names for Egypt, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Through a PowerPoint presentation, we have book references, articles, video clips. So we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. As soon as you register, you can watch the class we did last weekend. Classes don't sell $80, regularly $130. Uh, even a year from now, two years from now, you can watch the entire uh, class. It, it, it's archived. On Sundays, I teach from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Okay, if you've taken any of my online classes in the past, email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. You get a 50% discount also. And uh, we have the bundle pack here. So you get uh, all three classes for $120. That's a $285 value. Where is that? Right here. Okay, right here. And email us at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com if you've taken any of my classes in the past because uh, you'll get a 50% discount. You can use this information with your children also. I would say the content is PG-13. It's not, oh, I don't do a lot of cursing. It's not overly vulgar or things like this or explicit. So I'll say the content is PG-13. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda forever. I'll be on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Friday, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Download the Black Star Media app or watch uh, watch the show at uh, Roland, Martin, Roland S. Martin on Facebook or YouTube. And we'll share it on uh, on our Facebook page also. Remember, right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace. Ido Network International, in collaboration with STL Black Woman, DACA, and ACTA, present the Royal Pilgrimage to the Americas, August 24th through the 28th. The African kings and queens are coming to you for business, networking, and sharing of Pan-African ideals. The venue will be the illustrious En Garde Arts Hotel in St. Louis, Missouri. A royal cultural experience and exhibitions, trade and investment opportunities in Africa, the Caribbean, and the Americas. A royal Pan-African summit hosting keynote speakers and a red carpet banquet. Come and witness our African royal coronation ceremony. 
Register at www.idonetwork.org to book your ticket to wine and dine with African royalty. Vendor opportunities available. Get face-to-face with the royals who own the land and resources for business. Contact DACA for deal room information at 602-730-4572. Jeanette Davis is a well-established author with six published books. Black Survival in White America from Past History to the Next Century was published in 1995, and it delves into the history of African Americans before slavery up to contemporary times. The Great Divide Between Blacks and Whites was released in 2008, and her autobiography, Black Just Like My Mama, was published in 2010. Soulful Journey, The Business of Beings, was released in December 2021, and her two latest books, Echoes from the Heart, Love Throws Poetry, and Master Being Human, were both published in January of 2022. Jeanette Davis' writings delve deeply into the psyche of black people from ancient to contemporary times. She cuts no corners and leaves no stones unturned in relating truth letting the chips fall where they may on both African and European doorsteps. Order Jeanette Davis's books today at Amazon.com. Search for Jeanette Davis and get to know her work today. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry, it's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre, I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time.